Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tom Morrison, how you doing, brother? Big Davey, man. I'm excited to be back. You know what? I'm excited to be back. Every great band, every great band. I'm not saying we're great, but we've been getting some great reviews. But every great band always does a best hits album, right? And today is about what? It's about the greatest hits of Association Strong. And man, I mean, how are you feeling about it? we're 20 episodes in? How you? I mean, I think that's a big account. And we've right. reached some great download numbers. So how do you feel about it? Yeah, 20. I didn't realize we were at 20 already. That's pretty cool. Well, um, we, we, we got 18. I don't think it's a major milestone. Uh, I'm looking forward to hitting the 100 mark. That'll be pretty cool. But uh, I, what I really like about the progress of Association Strong is you and I started off just you and me bantering. And, and yeah. we thought, my God, we could talk forever just you and me about stuff. But then what we quickly realized is that by inviting people into the podcast, we were getting a much richer conversation. And so what we'd like to do today is uh, not review every single episode, uh, but talk about some of the highlights. Well, like you said, the greatest hits. We're going to talk about some of those. And to be honest, Tom, for me at least, the greatest hits are the ones we had with a lot of our guests. Right. Like you and I had some cool episodes in the beginning, like the topics in the beginning are really cool around the revenue episode. That was our second episode. That was a cool one. Um, uh, Innovation. That was another cool we, we did a lot of talk about engagement. We, in fact, we had two episodes, episode one and two, about uh, engagement with your engagement strategy, the acronym ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, right. which is a process that you've implemented at MTI, Metal Treating Institute, to engage your members. And at the same time, that's where my goggles are focused is on um, conversational engagement. We brought that right. into the second episode. So I enjoyed well, that we, conversation too. If we just sit right there for a second, if you think about those three coming out of COVID, those were three highly um, important episodes because when you come out of COVID, members' monies were tight for most industries. I mean, they didn't have money to spend and people were people were discounting and or uh, questioning their value. But I, help, I my thing is I help people go back and look and say, look, your value was great before COVID. Your value is still great after COVID or during COVID. The problem is you're, when your dues are $1,000 and you only have 500 in the bank, you just can't pay the dues. So it had nothing to do with the value. It had everything to do with the amount of money available to pay the dues. Down economies always cause people to question their value because they think that people should still be members. And I had members that said, Tom, I only had a couple, but they said, Tom, we're going to have to drop it. We're coming back as soon as the market comes back. And they did. And so I think that's what people have to really put some focus on. So, you know, so revenue is a key one because they all have all the associations had to figure out ways to drive more revenue or at least have enough revenue to pay their bills during COVID. And then innovation to me was so crucial because coming out of COVID, how did you innovate and create new things to COVID? Because there was a lot of things that we did temporarily that we said, you know what, that looks like something that we should do permanently. So innovation was key. And obviously engagement is, is just, to me, is the number one thing on everybody's mind. When, when the number one reason in marketing general surveys is that members not renew their memberships because they lack engagement, to me, that's always the, the number one issue we always have to put some focus on is, is how do we engage our members so that they are tied into something that pulls them into membership 
Well, it's such a broad topic, engagement. And and in fact, we've had long conversations about what the heck is, is engagement? Like how, how would you define whether or not somebody's engaged? But it's such a broad topic uh, and, and such an important one as well. And I think that's why it took two episodes for us right. to really get through a full conversation of engagement. But the, the, it, this could actually, I, I could see turning our first 10 or dozen episodes into a book because we go through a lot of elements that take us through, well, what happened during COVID? Uh, we talk about the innovation that comes out of that, but then episode, uh, what was it, seven or eight or nine, somewhere in around there, the one after innovation was what's next post COVID. Right, right. And, and so how did, how did this thing change us? How did people innovate? And then what's going to stick and what's right. not? And that was a really cool conversation too. Well, to me, it all kind of goes back to even set episode number one that was just simply on passion. Yeah. Because without passion, how do you, that's why apathy exists in associations. I've been to many associations, strategic plannings. And I'm like, so define me if your members are excited or are they, are they apathetic? And a lot of them are apathetic. And the reason associations, in my opinion, are apathetic going back to passion is they don't understand the concept that we are really all better together than we are separately. The moment an individual thinks that they're better off by themselves on an island, that's where the apathy kind of comes in. And so what are you doing as an association to develop the concept? I always take it back to Gladiator Man, Russell Crowe in the middle of the Rome Arena where he says, how many of you have ever been in the army? And he says, whatever comes out of these gates, whatever comes out of these walls, if we stay together, we survive. We work together, we live. And me, that's the essence of associations. We work together. You're more powerful than if you sat in a room all by yourself trying to figure it all out. You are looking, speaking of movie stars, you're looking especially Daniel Craigish today. I don't know. Do you get a haircut? I did. I did. Yeah. So for those of you listening to this, I can see Tom right now and he looks good. He looks Well, my, my wife always tells me she loves 007. So I really took my best picture of Daniel Craig to my hairdresser and said, I want to look like that. Now and she if, made her magic scissors and bam, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the hair, isn't it? Now, if you could just <laughs> hit the gym and, and get a few more abs to match that one that we've got. It's, it's the neck down where I have the challenge. <laughs> all right. So, exactly. so, you know, and I'm looking at these, these episodes, like uh, episodes nine and 10, I don't know if I have the numbers right, but digital association economy, Yes. Um, the remote workplace. Yeah, I, I could that, that the remote workplace doesn't hit a greatest hit for me. That was an interesting episode. I'm not going to put that in the greatest hits for my, for my but, but it may not be. The, it may not be a greatest hit, but it's one of the greatest topics because it's one of the number one things right now in this moment today. It's the number one thing that many owners and many CEOs of associations. Are I guess struggling. if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you don't struggle with it because I'm bored with it. I'm, I'm just so bored. I've been doing digital, a remote workplace for a decade. And right. But I would bet, you, I would bet, I would bet you less than 10% of associations were ever remote. Yeah. And yeah. Would force them to be remote. So now I'm hearing it from a lot of different people that they're trying to develop the right format to bring people back to work. And I've talked to some, some ex- execs to say, is it in my office or not? So people are too, truly, st- even though, the, and, and you ask them the question, was your staff, the last 18 months, have they been effective? Yes. Then why are you bringing them back in the office? Because I just want them there. They believe it's better together. I don't ever think one or the other. I think kind of a hybrid. We're a small association. We, we work Monday, Tuesday, Thursdays in. 
Wednesday, Fridays out in the office, out of the office. And it works great. You know, it gives a nice blend of um, camaraderie, relationship building and chemistry and connection. Um, Hot also- Logic did that, Tom. Uh, so, you know, we're friends with Andy and, and Rob Wanger and, uh, and Mark Lowry and, and the guys that started Hot Logic, what, a decade ago? Mm-hmm. A little under, actually, I think. Now nah, I take it back. I think they started in 2008, but it really took off in 2012. Anyway, so but higher higher logic for a while, and I don't know what they're doing now, but for a little while, higher logic had an office in, I want to say Alexandria or um, it was a really cool location in, in DC, and uh, it was a place where people could go if they wanted to get out of their homes. Mm-hmm. It was like a home base where people would touch base. They just want to be around people. But the expectation wasn't that you were going to be there any given day. Um, and so they had uh, desks for you to set up set up at for the day. Pretty cool concept, I think. Uh, but, but yeah, so th- that's a relevant topic. But the other, uh, but that's when we started to get into inviting people into mm-hmm. conversation. And that's when we had Ken Grombach. Grombach? Grombach? Yeah, Grombach. Yeah. I think it depends on what, what part of the country you're from, whether it's Grombach or Grombach. I think it's Grombach. But, I, but I've, I've heard him speak at least five or six times, and he's one of my great mentors as a speaker in general. He's the one that kind of inspired me as I started to get into speaking around the country to jump in at full bore as to do something professionally. And he, what I love about Ken is he brings such a depth of data that shows that goes in a lot of cases against what you hear on TV about the economy. Because he says the number one thing that most economists don't do is they don't count the people. You know, I mean, if you've got, he always got this great slide called Demographics 101. If you got two cows in a pasture and you got six cows in a pasture, which ones are going to produce the most milk? Six cows. He's like, it's as simple as that. He's like, if you got 60 million people in a generation, and you got 100 million people in a generation, who's going to buy the most stuff? And so that's where we are today with this massive millennial generation of 100. That's why we created, did the episode on um, him. And, and I wrote a blog post called, you know, the wave of the, the, the record wave of membership coming our way because we have more people coming into their association buying years. Everyone buys association memberships when they start in their mid 30s or early 30s. No one in my generation bought memberships in their 20s unless they were required to, like the maybe the bar association or something. If you didn't have the money, you didn't join till you're in your 30s. Because why? You got your first big raise and you had a little discretionary income to spend that 200 bucks to join the engineering society or whoever or, or a trade group. So we now, right now, have 100 million people coming through the age group of 33 and above for the next 20 years. And you got to be able to take advantage of that, but you got to have a good strategy, which goes to episode 11, strategic planning. So I love the way all of our, all of our sessions connect with one another, you know, to connect the dots. So this, we had a, uh, a live event uh, not too long ago with, uh, uh, forgive me, what was the gentleman's name? The labor drought. Oh, Ron Hetrick. Ron Hetrick, thank you. So Ron Hetrick, and this is where I found a little conflicting information. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So that was one of the most recent episodes uh, uh, where it was a live event. And but but here's the contradictory stuff I heard from Ken Grombach, uh, the demographics impact on associations. 
versus uh, the one we just did, the labor drought on the labor drought. And right. the labor drought is all about how the workforce is shrinking. Correct. Whereas Ken Grombeck is like the association world is going to boom. So which is it? What am I missing here? Where one expert is saying, maybe it's a timing thing. Whereas right now we're in a labor drought. Whereas Ken Grombeck is saying, hey, in the next decade, things are going to explode. What's your interpretation on it? Here's the thing. On the labor drought stuff, we are, our population is growing. It's just growing at a slower pace over time. Our population is predicted to grow in the next 80 years between now and 2100 is predicted to grow 103 people larger, but it's going to grow at a slower pace. What'd you say? 103 what? 103 million people more over the next 80 years. So in 2100, our population, we're one of the few populations that are expected to grow. You're like talking China. in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. In China's population, China's, China is going to China's going to lose 340 million people in their general population. They're going to go from 1.5 billion people to 1 billion, 1.1 billion people in the next 80 years. So some, some populations are declining, others are growing. And like eight of the top 10 populations that are growing demographically in the world are African nations, African uh, countries. So what, what Ron was saying in terms of the workforce is that, yes, we are growing, but we're growing at a slower pace. But here's the thing with the workforce. There's so many other underlying factors that are taking shape that's limiting the workforce. The participation rate is about 63% right now, which is down from like 65%. But if, but if the other, if, if we could get a labor participation rate of 70%, I mean, we'd have plenty of workers, but you have so many people. So here's the underlying factors that Ron was trying to point out. We have more um, young people in their 20s dying of op and 30s dying of opioid. That's removing people from the workforce. We have more prime age men from 25 to 35 and 40 who are not working, going back into the workforce working full time. They're only going back in 25 to 30 percent. That's a huge amount of people just working part time. And here's the funny part. He didn't mention the one study that he has in this video that says there's a study that was done, that, done of this, that prime age men 25 to 40 the amount of time they're not going back to work in full time directly mirrors the amount of time they're playing on video games. True story. <laughs> yeah. And then you got the, then you, then you have the impact of uh, school not being back full time and the amount of women that uh, have come, that haven't come back to work. So all these things are lead. And then here's the, the factor that I never really put a lot of play into it um, because I, I always talk about in 2029 and 2029, hundred percent of the, 25-year generations that are 18 or older that's got 100 million people are going to be in the workforce. But Ron brought up a great point, is in the next seven years, you're going to have a $64 trillion transfer of wealth from grandma and grandpa to the to the grandkids. And who's going to come back to work when you got just a million to $5 million trust fund landed on top of you? Unless they do the Warren Buffett, Michael uh, or Gates thing where they give away their wealth. More people between 18 and 35 are going to inherit a tremendous amount of wealth in the next 10 years that that's going to keep that a lot of those people from coming into the workforce. Yeah. I'm so not lots buying of different that. things I, that I, are. I, I hear that argument. I'm not buying it though. I, I do not think number one, I do not think that there's going to be a huge percentage of people inheriting a sum of money like that. I just don't think that's, that's the case. Number two, uh, I also don't think that uh, money in the bank keeps people from working might change the kind of work you do. It might allow more people to get uh, better education, 
uh, and put off work. So I'm contradicting myself a little bit. I think the challenge that what I heard and what my interpretation is the challenge in the labor force is what we're talking about is blue collar labor is hands on labor is hurting. Like it is really, really the, the electrical field, the, 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 you know, the plumbers, the builders, that workforce is shrinking because everybody's got to go to college now, you know, and, and, and so anyway, that that's my interpretation of that. But well, I don't think it's college. I think it's that young people don't want to do that work, period. You know, when I when when, when I was a little kid, the, yeah, the but why? Baby- why is it's because we've we're society right now is raising our kids in the way that you've got to go to college. And that's kind of the I don't know. It's a mindset. Which well, is, and they're not forcing- really a bad thing, but it's certainly hurting the, the blue collar workforce. Well, they're not forcing kids to get out and earn a living. The average age of people moving out of the house now is in their late twenties. Where when I when it went, when I was younger, it was twenty one. You yeah, because you, moved you out. know how expensive it is to get out of your house and live in a city now. It's crazy expensive. But hey, they're all inheriting this money, so maybe that'll help them. What's well, it's what I love about what Ron brought to the table and Kenneth Grompock for that matter is they brought data to the table that showed real life. Here's what's happening. It's kind of like you can't argue with the numbers. Yeah, you can. I could totally argue with the numbers because numbers are just designed to be interpreted. You look at look at how many people are arguing with, you know, the I don't want to make this political. You can get into all kinds of things around covid or uh, climate change or whatever, where numbers are there and people interpret the numbers differently. That's where the argument comes from, is the interpretation of the data, not the data. so let's let's talk about this number. So young people aren't going back to work over a three hundred dollar stipend from the government. It's just the truth. They're not going back to work because we I've got every owner I've ever talked to says I can't get my young guys to come back because they're getting this three hundred dollars a week. So that same person gets two million dollars from grandma and grandpa. They're not coming back to work. That's what I think. I think that's the mentality shift that they're not coming back to work for three hundred dollars. Younger people want a standard of living and they want to fund. They want to they want to they kind of want to live in retirement today because they've watched their their baby boomer parents and grandparents work for 50 years and have little to nothing. They're torn out and worn out. I think that's why they're fighting going back. They like the side hustles where they can control their destiny, control their time, work enough to make their bills. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I would have loved to have done that in my 20s, but I think there's a different mind shift if they don't have the drive. Some do, but I think the vast majority of young people they're not into working 40, 50 hours a week hard to, to make a living and stuff. They are they're trying to think of it differently so they can have time to enjoy life today in the moment. I, the I think there's something the gig economy, you know, then, and the, the, they're saying the va- that we're teaching entrepreneurship in schools now. So the idea of creating your own journey and being a creator um, in the world is that's that's a new concept that a lot of people are embracing. And that doesn't lend itself for the, the workforce, the labor field, the right. labor force. I mean, all right, listen, this song is way too long. Let's move on to the next greatest hit. The uh, I, I'll argue with you all day long, brother. I love arguing with you, man. Wanna, wanna deba- let's call it debating. Arguing so aggressive. The <laughs> Here's one that we did with uh, Michelle Mason before she was announced as new CEO of ASA. Who would have thought that was going to take place? That's awesome that we interviewed her literally like, what, two weeks before she got the job? Yeah, That's awesome. pretty cool. So that that was an episode with talking about leadership with Michelle Mason at the time was with Association Forum, um, also known as Forum, or what is it, Chicagoland Forum? Forum. 
something like that. I think this, I think, I think the search committee heard her on association strong and said, you know, <laughs> yeah. we have to hire yeah. her. Thank She's you. really good. <laughs> so then re- coincidentally, we had Reggie Henry on, who's the CIO and chief engagement officer of ASAE. Um, and he talked to us about treating members as if they were a market of one. And, and ASAE right. done a lot of cool things, I think. Um, and full disclosure, they're a client of Propule. Um, using Propule to embrace the conversational engagement approach. Julie Shulo, our friend, uh, and I'm just like, I'm blown away by Julie. She runs Association Analytics. You don't meet a lot of women in tech, right? Uh, let alone uh, uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, I mean, women entrepreneurs in the US represent uh, 20, 20% of entrepreneurs, the business over a million dollars in revenue, 20% of entrepreneurs are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a uh, very uh, relatively small percentage of entrepreneurship, but and, and then you look at tech entrepreneurs, and it's even smaller. I don't know what the number is, but uh, Julie is an entrepreneur and specifically a tech entrepreneur. She was she's just awesome uh, to talk to about business. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I think I think some people. I think as we as as time goes on, we're going to see that number rise tremendously. I mean, a lot of people I think so, yeah. Low, but w- but when you look at how long it took most men to become entrepreneurs and be successful, it took years. And women entrepreneurs haven't been around in the con- context of thing for a very long time. So I think over time, I think it's growing, and I think I think it's exciting to see. Some, I mean, because Julie, and what, what? How many kids does Julie have? She have like three. Was I, it three or two? I I don't know. I mean, when you just look at managing kids, managing a household with her husband, managing life, and then being an entrepreneur as well. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, she and she does it very well, which I mean, I've I've been very impressed um, talking to her anytime I've had a chance to see her in action. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's fun to watch. Very impressive person, impressive company too. Association Mm -hmm. Analytics. They've done amazing things with their service and their technology. Um, And then we had Keith and Adrian Segundo on talking about taking uh, continuing education and turning it into a revenue stream. Uh, friend Dave Coriel from Delcor was on. That was one of my favorite conversations, talking to Dave about technology. He opened my eyes to this concept of um, the importance of, what's the phrase, um, digital uh, conversion or yeah, Digital transition, digital digital transformation, mm-hmm. and I kind of thought I was just—I don't know—I was bored with the word like yeah, digital transformation doesn't really mean anything. But Dave explained to me what that means, right, and how important it is. Uh, so that I mean, if you're interested in, if you think your association needs to do a better job of embracing technology. That's a really cool episode to listen to, the one with uh, Dave Coriel from Delta. Right. And one of my favorites is coming up, man, episode 17, Maximizing Your Association Brand. I think that's one coming out of COVID that every association needs to be searching through and thinking through. Because when I first met Jay Owen, it hit me. And I, and I, I was amazed one day when I opened up his Facebook page and lo and behold, there you are getting interviewed by him on his podcast, Building a Business That Lasts, which I thought was amazing. But, um, you know, but just his whole concept of you look at a, 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 an association or any company's website and we all have this. It goes back to the core thing is that when I when you look at a website, the website traditionally is answering all kinds of questions for you that you're not even asking yet. 
and they're not they're not gaining your attention because they're not hitting at the core of your problems that you have with with the answers. And so Jay does a great job, him and his company, of helping you redesign your messaging in your website. So when you plop on the first page, it strikes your attention because it hits at the core of yes, I resonate with that. Yeah, and, and I kind of didn't Jay bring us through his process of helping an organization? Uh, yeah, he he took us through the with seven, that brand message. Seven step branding process that you have to go through in order to come up with the messaging that you really want. Now that the, I I love that episode. Similarly, John Warlow, bestseller, uh, I think a New York Times bestseller. I, mm -hmm. I'd have to look at my the bio, but I mean a really really well known author in the world of entrepreneurship and business specifically about building a business to sell. You know, mm -hmm. that's what his specialty is. What he did is he came in and talked to us because originally our, our thought was let's take some business concepts in, in this podcast and apply it to associations. And John does that really well. He has this thing called the value builder system. And gosh, he also brought us step by step through this system and applied it to the association space. I thought that was a really, really cool episode about creating value in your association. And here's, this is coming from a guy that is, is a consultant working with and an author uh, working with businesses to help them build value. But think if you were building your association through the lens and the prism of building your association to sell it, it would, now you can't all, you can't do that all the time because you do spend money on as associations on things that aren't for profit driven, like lobbying, um, certain other elements that you build to develop out products and stuff. But think if you had the prism mindset, we're going to build this association as if we were going to sell it, what that would do to your value question, the mm -hmm. questions you ask about value, customer engagement, service, those things. And that's what I loved about that, that, that having that conversation with him is how to, how to look through that prism through a for-profit, but through the mindset of a CEO of a nonprofit. It's, it's interesting to walk through that process. Yeah, that was a fun episode. And then we, we had Amy Hempel on from, uh, she's a friend of, of both of ours, but uh, I've been working with Amy for, uh, gosh, a year, year and a half now. Um, she is just a super cool person. She manages the membership side of things at, um, uh, at ASAE. And she and I were talking one day about you know, I, th I think we were just kind of complaining to each other about being remote. I, I think w we found ourselves both working. I, I think at one point we were having a conversation where we they're texting or emailing each other at eight or 9 PM about, about something. And it hit us like, what are we doing? Right. And, and when you're at home, you start to, the lines blur between work and home. And so we had a whole episode. I don't, I, I don't think we were complaining as much as trying to identify the issues in this work-life balance, this yeah. thing we're trying to create as work-life balance. What's, it's a critical thing because the number one thing, the, the uh, psychologist counselor slash, he, this guy is phenomenal. He's done training for, I think you have heard him a little bit, but he's done training for Blue Cross Blue Shield, Walmart, uh, major banks, but his name is Dr. Rick Marks. He's a good friend of mine and he does our third part of our association management training, our, our, um, our management training program in our industry on emotional intelligence in the workplace. And what he will tell you is that the number one emotional epidemic going on in society right now is loneliness. And the pandemic totally magnified that in a large way because people were lonely before COVID. 
Now the introverts, I know a lot of introverts says, man, COVID was like a dream for me. I love that because I, I got to say in my space, but for a lot of people who, you know, really enjoy people and enjoy getting out and, and they were feeling lonely in the moment. Well, COVID just magnified that big time because it put us all in a, in a, in a space where we didn't have any people. Yeah. Um, so. it, it, you know, I, I experienced that firsthand. Uh, my father is 83 and uh, we were pretty adamant about him being safe. Mm -hmm. And part of being safe is not exposing yourself to the outside world. And this is a guy that used to come over my house a couple days a week. And I think COVID really hit him hard, really, really hard. In hindsight, it's clear to me. Um, so I, uh, um, I don't mean to end it on a, on a sad note like that, but yeah, we had that conversation with Amy and man, we have so many good episodes coming up too, don't we? Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, we've got, um, a couple of good ones coming up that, I, um, what's the one that we just recently did? We interviewed, um, well, the one that's coming out that is, live, uh, that was the live webinar we did. Yeah. Yeah. So we are the people you're going to actually get to hear the live webinar coming out on uh, in two weeks on where are the no building association values coming out, I think next week. Well, and wait a minute, Tom, by the that, time this is out, that will already be out. We can't be right. talking time frames yeah. in a podcast doesn't work. But yeah, it, from now, from the point at which we're recording this, yeah, this stuff is coming up. But by by the time this recap comes out, all of that's going to be live. Out. It actually would have been la the last podcast would have been the we Where Are the People, the Labor Drought. So yeah, so we've got Labor lots drought. of good stuff coming up and people coming up in the next two to three months that we're going to be featuring as well. So you know, I'd my, love my to hear what other people, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you have some ideas, email me, Dave at PropFuel.com or Tom at TomMorrison.biz. Right, Tom at TomMorrison.biz. Yeah, yeah Tom at TomMorrison.biz. And uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. About yeah, I would love to hear what other people, what kind of topic. Yep. Yep. So with with that, yeah, I would love to hear what people think about the. <laughs> Are we, I see. A since when do we let the other guy talk here? All right, you go. I, I think I'm all done. What I'm, what I'm, here's what I'll say. I really enjoy bantering with you about all things association. I may be a vendor in the space, software guy, but I consider myself an association professional and I really, really enjoy being a part of this community. One of our core values here, Tom, is uh, for and with our community. And what that means is we're, we're not just a vendor trying to make money off of associations. That's in fact, that's not at all what we are. What we are is a part of the community trying to make it better. And a big part of that is conversations like this with you and exploring topics and digging deeper into them. So I've really enjoyed these and I'm looking forward to doing more with you. Well, my, my, my number one core value in my life is simply two words, human impact. And that goes around professional and personal development. And I am so passionate that associations are the strongest assimilation model for making a difference in people's lives. And it drives me to really have these conversations and inspire and motivate association executives, meeting planners, whatever level you are in associations, that you're standing in the most um, privileged, uh, an incredible job opportunity. You get to go to work every day and actually make a difference in someone's life every single day. Because what you do, I had to took me just a couple of stories to convince my accounts payable and receivable person because she thought she just had a job. And I shared some personal stories that I had heard from other people about how the association is really impacting their life. 
truly made them a better father, better mother, better spouse, better worker, better, better, better. And once she started reading those personal stories, she started to realize that her job just wasn't about collecting and getting money. It really was about a higher purpose that what we do here really matters. And so human impact for me is just a huge issue. And that's why I love having these conversations to help inspire associations. Don't think of what you do is just recruiting memberships. Think of what you do is transforming lives every day that impact their community, impact their families, impact their employees to create a better quality of life that everybody can wake up each day and go, man, I love waking up. And love yeah, you know, that's, that's, I love that, Tom. It's so well said. And, and, but I want to emphasize that this is not just for nonprofits. If you're, I think a lot of people at associations get tired and they start to focus on the tasks and they lose the purpose and the meaning. That's not just at associations. That That's at corporations and small mm-hmm. businesses and, and startups and so on. And on the flip side of it, uh, purpose isn't only found in the nonprofit um, uh, community. There's some uh, there, there's people that work for Walmart and and Prop Fuel and all these uh, for-profit organizations that go to work with a very strong purpose. The book, and I, I think we've mentioned this in here, the book that I'm thinking of right now is uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like reading that whole book. You can watch the 18-minute TED Talk, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. One of the most brilliant um, uh, purpose-driven uh motivational talks I've ever seen. I love that, Tom. All right. With that, yeah. Episode 21. Now we're going to vault into the next 20 episodes. And we hope our listeners tune in every other week to this dynamic conversation. Hey, we'd love to hear those. Spread the word. Send this out. If you, if you got one person you think might find this valuable, we'd appreciate is spreading the word. I'm not really sure what our goal is with this, Tom. Maybe we ought to have a purpose with this. Uh, I'm just enjoying talking to you. Even if we don't have an audience, I enjoy these conversations. But uh, I don't know. There's something about uh, knowing that your audience is growing that makes it better. So help us spread the word. We appreciate it. Awesome, man. Dave, good to see you, my friend. Can't wait till the next time. Tommy Bahami. Catch you later. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.